Good morning. I want to start this morning by telling you a little bit of a story and uh, actually doing a, a slight illustration for you. Um, I'm just going to uh, tell you a story from my childhood um, about my dad and when we used to um, leave the house or the car and my dad used to do this hysterical, what I'm going to call the key pat dance. Um, where he, he had this moment of you'd just look up and he'd just be frantically tapping everywhere, every pocket he'd known, even where he doesn't have a pocket on his shoulder. And he'd be um, in absolute um, sort of panic and doubt that he hadn't got his house keys or his car keys. Um, and, you know, cue 45 seconds of this madness. He, he would finally find them. And the relief on his face when he grasped hold of them, you could just see, it was like, oh, wow. That's uh, that, that's great. That's a great feeling to know that I haven't I haven't lost them. And I tell you this story this morning um, because we're going to be looking at a passage where uh, a follower of God has a moment of doubt, not a crisis of confidence in in their faith, not not on the verge of walking away, but a moment of real doubt where they send. Um, where he sends messengers to 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 ask Jesus a question, and I think we all experience doubt. I certainly do. Some of it's trivial, like my dad doubting he has his keys, or um, doubting that I'll ever see Tottenham Hotspur win another trophy in my lifetime. Or sometimes it's more serious things, like doubting God exists, doubting God's plan in COVID. Why is he allowing it to happen? Doubting God's ability to overcome my sin and the the temptation of sin in our lives. We all experience varying degrees, but the passage this morning and, and the frost of this sermon, the main point that I want us to take home, is that Jesus models in this passage that we need to be turning to him and particularly to scripture. Just like my dad, when he grasped the keys, we need to be grasping hold of God's word. Because that provides such encouragement and such reassurance in our moments of doubt. Not a silver bullet. It's not an encyclopedia where we can find the answer to every doubt and every question. But it does time and time again. It delivers in reminding us who God is, how big our God is drawing us back to truths that really help us overcome our doubts and to 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 be reassured so we're going to read from matthew 11 read from the nasb um this morning um if you don't have a bible then it will come up on the screen so matthew chapter 11 verse 1 when jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities now when john while imprisoned, imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offence at me. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. 
What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, He has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would be with me as I speak. Let your Holy Spirit bring to light these words that speak into our moments of doubt. Let you bring hope, let you bring encouragement and challenge as we spend our time together looking at this passage this morning. In your holy name I pray, Father. Amen. So we see in this passage, we have John the Baptist, who's expressing a moment of doubt. And this is astonishing. This is astonishing, because this is John the Baptist, who has spent his whole life, his whole life, proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. And more than that, we read in chapter 3, if you flip back in Matthew, that John actually has a moment where he acknowledges Jesus as the Messiah. This is in chapter 3 when he baptises Jesus. Jesus approaches him and says, baptise me. John says, no, no, I'm not worthy to baptise you. You should be baptising me. Yet Jesus says, no, as the scriptures fulfil it. So John baptises him and witnesses this amazing moment. Where a dove descends, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus and God the Father speaks from the heavens, commending his Son, with whom he is well pleased. John in chapter 3 was in no doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. So what's, what's led him to this position of doubt? What has led him from chapter 3 to chapter 11, where he's sending his disciples to ask a question? Of Jesus about whether he is the Messiah or not. Well there's two things here. There's two things. The first is how the Jews of the day and John interpreted the prophecies about the Messiah. About the one who was to come. You see they read scripture like Isaiah 9 which we're going to read in a minute. They interpreted that to be that the Messiah would lead a mighty, powerful, political slash military revolution where he would overthrow, overthrow 
the colonial powers and lead his people into freedom. Following in the footsteps of great leaders like David, before he'd done, done much, much like that. Isaiah 9 verse 6 to 7 illustrates this. For to us a child will be born, to us a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. They were anticipating that this, the Messiah would be leading this revolution and at the very least would be, would be demonstrating actions that would be looking like this was what he was going to do, that he was building up to at least. Yet Jesus, Jesus wasn't doing anything like this. Jesus was doing simple acts of service, humble acts, focusing on individual needs. John was doubting, why aren't you doing more? If you're the Messiah, why aren't you liberating your people as we understand that you would be, or how we understand that you would be doing that? But I think there's a second thing here as well. You read in verse 2 that John was imprisoned. John was awaiting trial, had been awaiting trial for a, a, a while now, for speaking up for morality. King Herod had taken his, had an affair and then taken his brother's wife to be his wife. John had called him out on this quite publicly. So he'd been imprisoned, been imprisoned for speaking up for what was right, for what was true. But John had also lit, led a life of sacrifice, lived in the wilderness his whole life, spent every living day proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. I think it's likely that John was in prison thinking, was it all worthwhile? Was I wrong? Was I wrong about proclaiming the coming of the Messiah? But also, if you are the Messiah, why am I suffering? I spent my whole life in the wilderness, in the fresh air, and now I'm in captivity, horrid conditions. Surely if you're the Messiah, you can liberate, liberate me from that. I think like John, we all experience moments of doubt, but particularly in these two areas. Suffering, suffering that, that that's we experience, particularly in this COVID time, maybe losing a job, losing a loved one, friends of ours dying. We can turn and we think, God, what? What are you doing? How can this be part of your plan? You can express moments of doubt in that regard. I think we can also think things like, God, we, as Christchurch Pharaoh, we've given our lives to serving the people of Pharaoh and beyond. Why is more not happening? Why aren't we seeing mass revival? We've, we're dedicating our lives to this. God, is, is, is your plan really being enacted in this town? But we see that Jesus responds in such a powerful, commanding, instructive way, which is really helpful. And we're going to unpack 
the main way which he does that. But the first point I want to make today is let's be like John. In our moments of doubt, which we will have, let's turn to God. So easy, so easy in moments of doubt to turn to other things. We can turn to some good things like sermons, like books, conversations with people. These things aren't bad in of themselves, but they're not God. They're not coming before God in prayer. They're not coming before God, reading his word. Or we can turn to bad things, binge eating, binge watching TV, sin, all sorts of distractions to bury our head in the sand. Well, let's be like John. In our moments of doubt, let us be people that turn to God. Let us turn to God. I want you to pause for a moment. Maybe even close your eyes if it helps. Pause for a moment and think, when was the last time that you had a moment of doubt in God's plan, in God himself? Perhaps you, you're not a Christian and you doubt that God exists at all. Where did you turn? Where did you turn in that moment? Think about it. Where did you turn? We need to be people that turn to God. Let's follow in John's example and let's do that. But the main thrust of this sermon and the point, if you take nothing else home that I want you to take home today, is I want you to see that Jesus not only emphatically answers John's doubts about him being the Messiah, but he does it through turning him towards scripture. He turns him to God's primary source of revelation, particularly for us. Leads him to God's word. He says, go back, go back and read. Go back and, and be reassured. And we're going to look at the, the two main ways in which he does that. But we shouldn't be surprised by this. We shouldn't be surprised by this because 2 Timothy 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 to 17 speaks about the importance and the power of scripture and the value of it. So reading from verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correct, for correcting and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Scripture is such in God's word is such a valuable source for us in our moments of doubt we must we must use this precious resource to turn to turn to god for comfort for encouragement for reassurance in our doubts now jesus as i said jesus is very firm he's very firm and he says to john's disciples go and see so go and report to John what you hear and see. And then he quotes scripture. So he initially quotes Isaiah 35. And this, this sort of point comes under the humble Messiah. And I think that Jesus does this for two reasons. The first reason is he wants to show that he is fulfilling scripture. The understanding that the Jews of the day had 
was wrong, was wrong. If their interpretation was that Jesus was not the Messiah or they had doubts because he wasn't leading this political military revolution, they were wrong. And if they went back to their Old Testament scripture, they would read. They would read these passages and they would see, as it all of it says in verse five, that that was what was prophesied. And they would see that that was what Jesus was doing. And if we ourselves read back in the last three or four chapters, we see just the awesome power of God over sickness, over disease, over death. We see that and we see the amazing fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. So I think that's the first thing Jesus is doing. I think he's leading them back through scripture to say, I am the Messiah because look, this was prophesied about what the one who was to come would do and I am doing it. I am fulfilling it. But I think there's also a second thing here which Jesus is doing which is really, really important. If you look at verse 5, you look at all of the things that are mentioned. Jesus is showing John's disciples that the way he's fulfilling prophecies as the Messiah will be different. He focuses here, all of these things are humble acts of service, meeting individual needs. These are not massive, overthrowing, grandioso statements or acts of power where he's trying to seize power from colonial powers. These are focused on helping individual needs and freeing and releasing people. Jesus is showing John that he was correct. He was correct in proclaiming the coming of the Messiah and that is Jesus. It has been realised. But he was showing him that the way that he would lead a revolution was more remarkable than they could ever imagine. You see, the biggest threat and the biggest foe was not the colonial powers as difficult as they, they will have been. It was the foe of death and it was the foe of sin. And Jesus, through this quiet, servant-hearted, humble revolution, would lead a life of service and sacrifice that ultimately would take him to the cross. Where he would die a sinner's death, but then be raised up again three days later to defeat death once and for all, for everyone who confesses their sin and repents and calls upon his name. And that was a more remarkable and more astonishing fulfilment of these prophecies than a lot of the people will have understood or comprehended. Moving on to the second, so to verse six, yet again, Jesus leads John's disciples back to scripture, Isaiah 61. And he spells out quite clearly that once again, he is fulfilling the prophecies. The prophecies state that the Messiah would be rejected. The Messiah would be offensive to many. He would be offensive. And if you read Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It was in no doubt it had been prophesied that the Messiah would be rejected, that he would be offensive. He's a message, his plan of going about and bringing revolution and liberty for his people would be offensive to many, would be rejected by many. And I think that this is really important for 
once again showing I am fulfilling the scriptures. But I think there's a second really important element of this for us and for John, for us to see and, and aimed at John. He is talking about how this doesn't just apply to Jesus, to the Messiah. This applies to anyone, anyone who also proclaims the message of and the hope of Christ. And we read in verse uh, 12 in this passage where Jesus talks about John the Baptist being in the kingdom of heaven. The violence, they would try to claim it violently. He makes very clear that not just for the Messiah, as we know on the death, on, on, with his death on the cross, we also know that for those that proclaim the message of, of God, they will also suffer. They will also be found to be offensive on many occasions. They will also be rejected. And that would have been really important in John's situation. He's dedicated his whole life, whole life to this. But he's suffering now for it. He's paying. And Duncan did a really, really good job um, in the last Sunday evening sermon um, unpacking that. So I'm not going to go into that anymore. But So we see this. We see how, how these doubts have been um, responded to very instructively, very powerfully through Jesus leading John's disciples back to scripture. But I'm just going to, we're going to run through a couple of, of quick illustrations for us now um, where we, where we look at um, a couple of, of ways we can experience doubt and how scripture responds to, to these for us. So I know in our, in my household, me and Temi, um, the COVID um, experience has been one that's been really tough, really tough. Um, we've had COVID ourselves, thankfully not um, any real effects health-wise, um, but anxiety has, has been um, quite strong, particularly for Temi. It's been a difficult time really difficult time and particularly with death thinking of of not just god how is this in your plan how is this best for us but also what happens if we die because we can have a a, a doubt of, of what happens to us in death but we have found turning to scripture so so encouraging and so so helpful so we want to look at some scriptures now which really have spoken into our situation and I, I hope will illustrate not just into this situation but once again how in our doubt we must turn to scripture to help us. So James James verse 1 verse 2 to 3 Consider it all joy my brethren when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. I love the fact that scripture doesn't pull punches. Just like in this verse where we've looked at how Jesus has said that he would be rejected and, and so will we that follow him. He also quite clearly spells out in lots of other places of scripture like this in James that we will, we will face trials, we will face suffering. But actually that's always been part of, of what he's planned for us. One of the things that comes to that is perseverance. But it reassures me to know it's not, no one's caught... God by surprise. It was always in his plan. He is sovereign. John verse 11, uh, chapter 11, sorry, verse 25, 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. What's this speaking about? Not immortality. We're not going to live forever till we're 908. What it's talking about is our eternal future. 
that we might we will die in our bodies but our eternal destination and future with Christ for all who believe in him is secure and that fills me with such confidence and such joy and hope that whatever happens in death what's the worst that covid can throw at me that i die that actually that will be a joyous moment because i i will my body i will die but i will go to be with him in the heavens and finally revelation chapter 21 verse 4 and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death there will no longer be uh, no longer be any mourning or crying or pain the first things have passed away this is a a, a look forward to what's to come after this life when the end of time comes and i just love this i find this so nourishing of my soul so nourishing of my soul that there's going to be a time when there's no pain there's going to be a time when there's no tears when it's all finished and all done and we don't have to bemoan and we don't have to suffer in this world i love that that is that is the destination that that awaits me and awaits anyone else who has put their trust in 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 god the second illustration um was i really felt led by the spirit that there will be people listening to this today um watching that just you doubt that you're worthy of god's grace you doubt that you you can be a recipient because you've done too many things you've done too many bad things in your life maybe it's not that maybe it's shame you're so ashamed of the things you've done rather than just bad and wrong things you've done well there's some scriptures which really speak into this romans verse uh, chapter 3 verse 23 to 24 for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in christ jesus this is the scandal the scandal of the message of christ is that none of us are deserving none of us are deserving so be in no doubt your doubt is 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 realized your doubt is true but let's read the second half of that those verses being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in christ jesus it is a gift it is a gift that has been given to all who confess their sins and repent and turn to him it's a free gift not deserved not earned it's a free gift but that that is yours that can be claimed psalm 103 verse 12 as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us your sins have been removed from you they the power of sin when you have come to christ and the blood of jesus has covered you it cannot be it cannot stay it cannot remain the blood of jesus wipes it away completely removes it as far as the east is from the west be encouraged be encouraged that if you put your trust in jesus and what he's done for you and turn to god that your sin has been taken away and a final encouragement i did i, I really felt that if you're a christian and you you know that you're saved you know that jesus has died for you but you're really struggling and you're doubting the power of god because when sin comes comes to you and the temptation of sin comes to you you doubt that god can overcome that you feel so overwhelmed overwhelmed with it i just can't resist i can't resist because it's just too powerful well i want to read one corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 to you no temptation will overtake you and be beyond what you can bear look to god and he will show you an escape 
I have known in my life sins and times where I've been caught in ruts and I have felt that there is no way out. There is no way out and I will always have to give in. Well, let us turn to scripture and see that this is not true. This is not true. If we look to God, he will give us an escape in those moments. No temptation is given to us beyond what we can bear. But we need to look to God. We need to turn to him because he is the way of escape. So we've seen we need to turn to scripture in our doubts. We need to turn to scripture for reassurance, for comforts, uh, for comfort, to, to realign ourselves and realign what is true in those moments. So we're going to move on to talk about the second half of the passage um, a bit more briefly than the first, because that was the main focus. But I find it really interesting, this second part. So, so it says, as you see in verse 7, that Jesus waits for John's disciples to go away. And I, I picture a crowd, he starts speaking to the crowds, and I, I picture a crowd that, that are sniggering, laughing, probably mocking John's disciples a little bit, thinking, you know, what are you doing? You have little faith. Um, ha ha. Kind of like a school, school ground setup. I love what Jesus does here. I love what Jesus does. Jesus, as Carson describes it, John has borne witness for Jesus up to now. And now Jesus is boring witness for John. Jesus doesn't lay into John in his doubt. Lay into him through his disciples. Critique him. Pull him down. No, he commends him. He talks to the crowd and he speaks some wonderful truths and, and honours John. I'm not going to spend much time on this because Duncan's done a, a, a very good preach on um, John the Baptist from earlier on in the series and talked about some of the ways that we can imitate John and, and the way that he lived. But we'll pick a few few things out just to demonstrate how Jesus um, commends John. Verses 7 to 8, he, he commends John for his sacrificial lifestyle. Yes, he did. He, he was a bit odd in what he wore and, and where he was, but he did that because he was sacrificially giving up his life to proclaim the coming of, of God. He described him as more than a prophet, a herald of Christ. What does that mean? It means that John was the last, the last before Jesus. He had a, a special role in proclaiming and in heralding the coming of the Messiah. And he illustrates that Jesus through scripture. Yet again, he uses scripture. He takes the crowd back to scripture to remind them who John is, to justify who John is. He also talks about John in verse 11, as no one has ever, no one ever born of women has been greater than John. Wow. Now he says some fantastic things and he commends John in the face of doubt that he's expressed. And I find that so reassuring so reassuring that that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus, in our doubt when we turn to him, doesn't mock us, doesn't act disappointed in us. In fact, he commends us if we turn to him. If we turn to him in our doubt, he commends us. He wants to help us. He wants to be our advocates. And I want to draw out really from verse 11. He's commended John, but then he says something that, that potentially is a little bit odd. 
commends him as no one's born, no one born of women has ever been, has a, there has never been anyone greater. But then he says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does this mean? Jesus is drawing out that as great as John's ministry was, and it was, he, he attests to it here himself. John was prior to Jesus. John was pointing the way to Jesus. That's what he spent his whole life doing. John, just like us, needs Jesus. We need an advocate. We need one that's not only going to speak to the crowds about us and commend us. We need one who has been mentioned across this whole passage. We need one that is going to be the Messiah, that is going to be our advocate. And that one is Jesus. We know that he went to the cross for us. He died a sinner's death. He took our punishment and our shame all upon himself, despite living a perfect life. And despite that, he rose, he rose up victoriously three days later, defeating death, defeating the greatest foe that we can ever have. So the invitation this morning is, is that as great as John's ministry was, it was all leading up to who Jesus was. And we need to lean on him. We need to lean on him as our great advocate. And that's what he wants us to do in our doubt, but in all situations, he wants us to come back to him and to what he's done for us. He wants us to, to drive into scripture, to read about the glory of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the wonder of who he was. And he wants us to meditate on that because he is our great advocate. But there's also mirrors here. There's mirrors here of, for me of, of not only what, Jesus has done for us on the cross, for us and John and anyone else who believes. There's mirrors here of, uh, uh, for me, of what he continues to do. I'm going to read Romans 8 verse 34 to you. Christ Jesus is he who dies, yes rather who was raised and is at the right hand of God. And here it comes, here it comes, who also intercedes for us. Do you know that? Do you know that if you are a follower of God today, Jesus is in the heavens interceding for you at the right hand of the Father? No matter what your doubts, no matter what momentary doubts you have, no matter how you behave, no matter what you do, the blood of Jesus covers you and he is in the heavens interceding for you. That is amazing. That is astonishing. That is astonishing. And I see that across this passage, the way that Jesus does that. He almost does that for, for, for John to the crowds. But he's doing that now in the heavens for all of us who believe. That's amazing. That is amazing. So to wrap up, I just want to go back to it. We all experience doubts. We all will experience doubt at some stage, no matter what that looks like for us. It will all be different, but we will experience doubt as believers in Christ. But we need to turn to God. We need to turn to him. We need to turn to the, the one that is the way, the truth and the life. 
the true source, the true place for us to get answers, to get comfort, to get reassurance in those moments of doubt. We also need to grasp hold, just as my dad, you, right at the beginning when I told that story about the relief on my dad's face when he grasped hold of the keys. We need to grasp hold with that urgency, scripture like that. We need to grasp hold of it and use it just as Jesus has illustrated to, to guide us back, guide us back to the truth about who he is, about what he's done for us and how that can help us in our moments of doubt. I'm going to lead us in prayer in a moment, but I just want to speak for a moment to you if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian and and your doubt is actually about whether God exists or not. Because this is a passage primarily, primarily spoken in a context of two believers and to people who are, who are believers who have doubt. But I want to speak to you. And I want to encourage you to read scripture. I want to encourage you to, to pick up a gospel, to pick up a Matthew Mark, Luke or John and to read, to read about Jesus, to read about the claims he, he made, to read about who, who he is. And really, as you do, open yourself up. Remind yourself that you're coming before God's breathed word and, and really allow that to be your main source of, of, of seeing if God is real or not. And then once you've done that, I encourage you to get in touch with a friend or, or the church. Um, to, to, if you've got questions, to, to discuss those further, because that's great. It's not that these things are, are bad, but Scripture's the place to start. That's, that's the primary source of God's revelation to us. So I encourage you to, to start there. I'm going to pray for us and then hand back. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you that we have a God who doesn't turn us away in our doubt, doesn't touch, doesn't look at us in a disappointed way. But instead, you courageously and you boldly lead us back to scripture. You lead us back to your word for reassurance, for comfort, for truth in those moments of doubt. And I just pray pray that you would help us in the coming days, weeks and months to be a people that are not just hearers of this word but doers of it, that we do turn to scripture. Pray even now Lord that, that the doubts that some people have listening to this, will, they'll be looking up scriptures after this, this talk because they'll just be so excited by the encouragement that can come from reading your word. And Lord, I want to pray for, for those that are listening this morning that maybe don't know you, maybe, maybe doubt that you exist at all. I pray that as, as they read your word, that you would speak, that in your compassion and your, your mercy and your grace, just like you did in sending Jesus to us, I pray that you would also, through your Holy Spirit, speak to those that as they pick up your word, that it would really speak to them. They would hear you, hear you speaking to them. I pray this, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.